Everybody, welcome to the Roadie on the Horn podcast. Today is Monday, February 6th at time of recording, episode 136. Coming at you right now. Get some good thoughts on the NFL Super Bowl coming up this Sunday. Can't wait for that. And also have some news about people either retiring or getting hired or fun news and notes around that. NHL All-Star Game coming on this past weekend. We'll get into some of that and a big trade out of the NBA involving Kyrie Irving. Before we get into some of our questions on today's show. So with that, without any further ado, I will introduce my great friend, my awesome co-host, Donnie. Donnie, how are you doing today, man? Living the dream, obviously, always living the dream. Uh, when I get to come talk to RK at five thirty about sports, you know, on a Monday, just just there's nothing better, really. I couldn't I couldn't pick a better time, better better way to spend my my Monday afternoon, early evening than than this. So I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to go as well, Donnie. Let's just get right into it, shall we? Let's start in the NFL. Super Bowl coming up this Sunday, as I just mentioned. But let's start with some news and notes around the NFL that we saw in the past week. And let's start with the Denver Broncos. Our good friend Eric Jensen, his favorite team, has decided to finally hire a head coach. And it will be Sean Payton, who will go to Denver on a five-year deal. So interesting situation, as he will now be working along with Russell Wilson. Also a big caveat in this deal is that Denver has to lose a first and second round pick as a part of this move going to the New Orleans Saints uh, as they still technically had his rights. So a definitely an expensive ad for Denver to go after the big name head coach, former Super Bowl champion Sean Payton. But we'll see if he's able to kind of light a fire underneath Russell Wilson and that offense after a disastrous year last year. Still a very tough division, but I do like Sean Payton overall. Obviously he was very successful for for a long time working with Drew Brees. We'll see if he can channel any of that again with the Broncos. But Donnie, do you think that the cost was possibly too much here for the Broncos giving up a couple of picks? Uh, what do you kind of make of this move for the Broncos to end up getting Sean Payton? Yeah, not only do I think the cost uh, in terms of giving up draft picks to get a head coach is ridiculous, something that should have been left in like it seems like a 1990s type thing like oh we're we're trying we're trying to be innovative here. Um it seems like something that probably should have been left in the past. I don't think coaching like especially for this Broncos team is Sean Payton winning them are they winning a Super Bowl with Sean Payton in the next five? They're not. So let's, let's just leave it at that. Um, I guess the the opportunity cost is oh maybe maybe they can sneak in the playoffs if Russell Wilson turns around and all that you know great and all. Um, so I, I would definitely say giving up a first round pick is is plus a second is never a good situation for a head coach. Um, and it, it also goes to show like you were just really bad at picking head coaches for the last however many years. If you have to feel like like so desperately. Uh, I, down bad, I would say, to where you have to spend a first and a second to get a coach. And then on top of that, RK, you have to understand they have made Sean Payton the most, uh, the richest, the most highest paid NFL coach in the league. He's getting paid more than Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, Kyle Shanahan, um, Harbaugh, McVay, even. Sean McVay's making 15 mil a year. So we're talking about Sean Payton is making double what Mike Tomlin and Andy Reid are making. Uh, in terms of a salary, which is ridiculous. Let's let's just be honest here. I understand, you know, Sean Payton. Um, he he wants he's he's probably commanded uh, this type of of pay based off of his his prior success. But I do think there is a little bit of an overhype maybe on the whole Sean Payton thing, given the fact that we've talked about this off air. Uh, Sean Payton had Drew Brees, and we're talking like we're not talking like young 
12-year-old Drew Brees. We're talking like firmly in his prime Drew Brees for the entirety of his his tenure. And, and then he left the second Drew Brees left. So is that necessarily proof that he can coach a team? Sure. Great. You had a, you had a Hall of Fame quarterback there. Is Russell Wilson in his clearly past his prime, at least from what we saw last year? Is Russell Wilson going to like resurge and look like he's not? So let, let's just let's be honest here. Probably just a ridiculous move. It, it makes sense for Broncos. Uh, Broncos, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say let's ride, but they'll be riding a little bit. They'll have a better a better season moving forward. They'll have a better chance to actually make the playoffs rather than Nathaniel Hackett, which uh, was a clear mistake. But, you know, it just it just seems obviously everything's getting more expensive. The salary caps going up inflation and everything. But uh, to make Sean Payton a, a hundred million dollar coach over the next five years is is it's it's a choice for sure yeah it's definitely an interesting one uh the saints receiving the broncos 2023 first round pick this year 29th overall so the broncos traded their own first round pick last offseason for russell wilson and obviously that didn't pan out so here they are in a rebuilding year they go and they sell at the deadline they trade bradley chubb away they receive a first round pick back and then they go in the offseason and trade that pick again so that they can get a new coach just a funny sequence of events for the Broncos in terms of not having a first round pick after trading it, after getting one back, after trading it again. This is actually the third time in NFL history that a coach has been moved involving a first round pick. Actually, the first one was Bill Belichick when he went from the Jets to the Patriots. That was kind of a funny one. There was a first round pick involving that deal. And the other one being John Gruden when he went from the Buccaneers to the Raiders. Or, or sorry, when he went from the Raiders to the Buccaneers for four picks, including two first round picks. So yeah, kind of a uh, odd situation, but Sean Payton had an Actually signed an extension that was set to run through the 2024 season, uh, which is why the Saints were able to get compensation back uh, despite moving on from Peyton, uh, you know, before the start of this past season. So Definitely an interesting move there. I agree with you. I'm definitely skeptical that, you know, this will turn into a Lombardi trophy back in Denver. But, uh, you know, I do think that the potential is there where Sean Payton could kind of turn Russell Wilson back into what we saw for many years in Seattle. Still think you have some solid receivers in Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. And even though they weren't able to channel really any of that offensive potential last year, Sean Payton's obviously had a great track record of, uh, you know, good offensive uh, schematic, you know, play calling and uh, just being a good offensive coach so uh, definitely some potential there for Denver but still a long way to go on that roster and not having a first round pick obviously hurts them uh, in that capacity as well so an interesting move there uh, with Sean Payton going to Denver but Another move uh, around the NFL that we got to address here, Donnie. Tom Brady has retired for the second time, but seems like this one's going to be legit. But, you know, we'll we'll still, I guess, wait it out and see if training camp, he gets some itches uh, and he wants to come back. But for now, Tom Brady retiring. You know, there were definitely some rumors and rumblings that he could stay in the NFL, maybe not with Tampa, you know, bounce around, maybe the Jets, maybe the Raiders, maybe the, you know, 49ers, handful of teams that would have been possible suitors for Brady. But uh, announcing his retirement on social media also announcing that he will start working with Fox Sports in a broadcasting role, not next year, but in 2024. Massive contract for him, 10 years, $375 million. So, you know, big news. You know, we, we thought we were getting this last offseason, Donnie, with Tom Brady retiring. But if this is the end of the GOAT, uh, you know, he definitely went out in tough fashion. I would say this year wasn't necessarily how he wanted it to go out, but uh, obviously an amazing career for probably the greatest quarterback to ever live. Uh, and Tom Brady, uh, I think we can, you know, at this point, uh, assume that he will stay retired, uh, given how things ended up for him last year. 
yeah, you know, I think we could have said, and I mean, maybe you wouldn't have predicted a, a fall, a, such as a meteoric fall from Tom Brady's 2021 year. I mean, we're talking about a guy who threw 700 passes and, and did very well in terms of uh, pretty much every ratio you're looking at, whether it's yards per yards per completion or touchdowns per pass. Uh, he was he was very near the top or at least uh, above league average. And then it just kind of this year was a mess. Obviously, a coaching change, some personnel changes. Uh, another year where there was no running game in Tampa really made him look, I wouldn't say bad necessarily, but it's not Tom Brady. It's more of a middling quarterback, as we've seen a couple of the aging quarterbacks um, fall off. But just I, I wanted to mention, I like how he said that he wanted to start in 2024. So he just he always leaves the window open just a little bit. Like, obviously, I think I think you can say it's pretty much done here, but you know 20 i'm sure he'll still be working out in the season 2023 season comes around he'll still be working out maybe we see tom brady week eight you know who knows can't rule it out he's got a, got a full season off to either you know hang out with his kids or fix his personal life or whatever along those lines and i'm sure he'll still be eating like a freak and training like a freak so uh, i guess there's always like a very very slight possibility there but you know definitely uh had tom brady went out last year i think we're talking about like the greatest last year ever maybe in terms of a professional athlete 44 years old and then now it's kind of just like eh, 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 you know uh, father time caught up tom a little bit and as did you know the tampa bay buccaneers coaching staff personnel um a lot of things a lot of things went wrong for for tom brady this year yeah, definitely true. And, you know, he was coming off an outstanding year this year, didn't really have a run game, but also there was, you know, some signs of Brady kind of slowing down, as you said, you know, still had some pretty good weapons. And there were times where he was really good with Evans and Godwin and Julio Jones, but far too inconsistent uh, overall on that front. I kind of thought he was going to stick around, you know, it kind of seemed like things were coming to an end with Tampa, but I kind of got the sense that maybe he might try to give it another shot somewhere else. But, um, you know, as said, for now, it seems like Brady uh, going to call it done. But yeah, you said leaving that window open so you know still never know for sure but uh that's what uh what we got for now so uh obviously uh good stuff for tom brady uh obviously in his career um and uh yeah calling it quits calling uh calling it done now for uh retirement purposes so i uh, wanted to make sure to get that out obviously big news uh in the nfl as it relates to other teams you know searching for quarterbacks you know obviously not having that as an option uh you know maybe that makes someone more inclined to go up and try to trade up for a bryce young or a cj Stroud or, uh, you know, go after uh, Derek Carr a little bit earlier in the offseason. There could be kind of some domino effects we'll see in the quarterback market uh, because of that. But let's finish up our NFL thoughts by just getting through a little Super Bowl preview here, Donnie. Last game of the NFL season, the Eagles and the Chiefs. Eagles right now coming in at about a point and a half favorite. Uh, seems like they are just slightly favored uh, in this game. Seems to be pretty tight overall, though, uh, I would say. I'm feeling pretty good, though, from an Eagles perspective. I think, you know, after watching the Chiefs for a little bit, obviously you got the little bit of a factor with Mahomes having the ankle injury. I don't think that'll really impact things too significantly. You should be able to kind of navigate the pocket fine but from an eagle standpoint the fact that they've been so dominant this year rushing the passer obviously that's something that will be really interesting uh to see if guys like hassan reddick and josh wet uh can continue to put pressure on mahomes throughout this game uh could make things a little bit more challenging for them very good offensive line for kansas city but i do think if there's any area the eagles could look to attack it would be right tackle andrew wiley i think that he's kind of been beat at certain times this year and especially if he's going up against hassan reddick i like that matchup for the eagles could be a 
big one if they go on to win this game. You know, really just takes, you know, one or two kind of third and longs where if Reddick gets in there, commits a, you know, strip sack or a big, uh, you know, sack to force a punt, something along those lines. I think it could be a game-breaking change. And then the other thing I look at with the Kansas City offense, obviously you can't undermine, you know, the Reed Mahomes potential, especially with two weeks to prepare against the Eagles defense. But with the fact that their receivers are a little banged up, uh, Juju a little bit banged up, no Miko Hardman, you kind of figure maybe they're a little bit too one-dimensional with just Travis Kelsey. I know Marquez Valdez Scantling had some big games in the postseason, but I like the Eagles chances if they're going up one-on-one with either Bradbury or Slay on the outside against MVS while trying to focus in over the middle of the field against Kelsey. I would think that their game plan would try to be a double team him definitely on third downs, but in as many passing down situations as you can. And uh, hopefully, you know, get the chiefs behind the sticks a little bit and let them rush the passer with just four uh, against Mahomes with that, uh, you know, injured ankle, as I said. So I think those are kind of the big things I've been thinking about this past week, uh, getting ready for the Super Bowl, that if the Eagles can, you know, focus in on Kelsey, double team him as much as possible, try to exploit Andrew Wiley, their right tackle. I think those could be kind of keys to the game that I'm thinking about. But for you, Donnie, how do you kind of preview things uh, heading into the Super Bowl uh, from either an Eagles or a Chiefs standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, although you do you do feel um, maybe a little bit differently. I don't think the wide receiver injuries are going to be that big of a deal. Um, it seems like you know just from from standpoint of if if you pay attention at all to like Vegas bookmakers something along those lines, uh, we saw Justin Watson's anytime touchdown uh, his his prop went down almost in half today um, from from very very I, I would say not great odds to to very juicy odds now he's about 15 to one which would uh, tell you they're they're feel they feel as if they've got the guys trending in the right direction so I feel like um, there's a chance that at least like we have a full game but I do think the Eagles defense will be too much to, come on now like let's let's be realistic here we're talking about Eagles defense that just gets to the quarterback um, Pat Mahomes and who knows about the ankle at all if there's even the slightest little issue with the ankle having a pass rush like that at least like from parts of the game because i don't anticipate the eagles are going to get in get in the backfield and sack him 10 times that's never going to happen but uh, getting pressure making him move with any type of ankle uh, issue uh, we'll have to see more how that goes we're, we're doing this on a monday so we've still got uh, quite a lot to prepare you know, there's a lot of time for Pat Mahomes to go through uh, whatever cryo cryotherapy, whatever he's dealing with right now to get his ankle better. But you, you got to think the Eagles pass rush. It's it's the key to the game. Um, but on the other side, the Chiefs pass rush may end up being a, a bigger deal than people are making. I've watched a lot of NFL live and just like uh, reading into clips, seeing what people are saying. Everybody talks about the Eagles pass rush. Nobody talks about the Chiefs pass rush. When the Chiefs pass rush has been pr pretty good, especially in the playoffs, uh, they have found a way to time and time again get to the quarterback. So obviously Jalen Hurts, a, a different type of quarterback, a little bit more mobile, maybe having um, the ability to get outside of the pocket will benefit him uh, really, really more in this game than any other game this year maybe. But I think that people are kind of underestimating how good the Chiefs are at getting to the quarterback. Obviously, you're talking like defensive player of the year candidate out there. but I feel like people are just quiet about the Chiefs pass rush. Maybe it's because the Eagles offensive line is just just built different, which it is. Let's be honest. They've done a really good job um, shoring things up. But it, I, I feel like good pass rushers get past good offensive linemen like more frequently than than uh, the other way around. I feel like offensive linemen don't do the greatest job against like the elites. It's hard to stop these guys. Um, we could see quarterbacks pressured or on their on their butts quite a lot in the Super, which is something that, you know, Usually you think it's maybe a one-sided event. Obviously, we've seen some some really bad um, 
you know, Pat Mahomes has been on his on his behind quite a lot in Super Bowls in in, in recent years in his his history. So um, I think that people are kind of overestimating the Chiefs are underestimating the Chiefs pass rush a little bit. And it's something that we need to like, I don't know, maybe temper temporary expectations. I understand the Eagles the Eagles have like the most sacks ever. It, it, it's like a crazy, crazy year that they had and, and they got to the quarterback. But things that, that you know obviously the talking points are fun and all but we have to remember there are two sides to things um as good as the eagles are getting the quarterback the chiefs are gonna get the quarterback chiefs are gonna get jalen hurts so it's something that we have to consider a little bit i think yeah no i i definitely agree chris jones is gonna present a lot of problems Frank clark as well has been a pretty good edge rusher in his career and i think george Karloftis as well on their d-line has been pretty good in his rookie year so um definitely as you said you know the eagles o-line has been one of their strengths this year but um gonna be another you know battle for them in the trenches uh especially if they want to try to establish a run game with miles sanders kenneth gainwell boston scott the three of them have been playing really well gonna need to continue to uh, run well for the eagles to be able to kind of fit their uh play style that they want to hit but also kind of how I touched on with the Chiefs I feel like if you shut down Kelsey maybe that could be a key uh, advantage if you double team him not sure if that's necessarily the same case with the Eagles like even if you double AJ Brown you know that leaves Devontae Smith open Dallas Goddard I think their Eagles have a little bit more dynamic of an offense than the Chiefs do in terms of the personnel but with that all being said it's still the Chiefs offense they still have guys like Pacheco and McKinnon out of the backfield and Andy Reid knows how to scheme them up uh, as well as just about anybody in the history of the NFL so I expect a really close game but I am feeling good from an Eagles standpoint so uh, I can't wait to see how things uh, you know obviously shape out Super Bowl Sunday in Arizona uh, should be a lot of fun any final predictions from you Donnie uh, that we can put on record before the Super Bowl is played I'll take the Chiefs in a very close game I would say we're not talking anything crazier than like a 27-24 uh, last last drive wins type idea um i would be surprised if it was anything but that and if it was anything but that you would assume that it was an eagles win by by double digits or maybe not double digits by double scores you know more than more than a score maybe by 10 something like that but uh, my guess my my hunch would still be uh, pat mahomes is just that much better than jalen hurts even though jalen hurts is a very good quarterback and, and does some some crazy amazing things travis kelsey big game not going to stop him regardless you just kind of hope you can match him offensively um, it's either going to be a close Chiefs win or a, a big Eagles, like, surprise defensive lockdown. They get to Mahomes a lot, um, bum ankle or not. It's it's something to worry about, I think. we I haven't heard anybody. I haven't heard a single word about, oh, he's, he's got an ankle. It's still there. Like, he played great last week or, or a week and, week and change ago. He played great. No arguments. But, like, he anything you can flare things up very easily if you're running especially a guy like that who's who's been practicing he's been spinning he's been i feel like it's something we got to consider yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, it'll be a big storyline to watch uh, on uh, Sunday. should be a lot of fun uh, and glad we could uh, touch on it, uh, you know, here in this show. Uh, obviously, we'll break it all down on our show next week. Uh, hopefully, from my standpoint, an Eagles win. Donnie's picking the Chiefs, so we'll see who of us is right on that front. All right, let's bounce around now. Let's go to the NHL. NHL All-Star Game coming on this past weekend. Donnie was all on it, covering good performances from Dylan Larkin, Matthew Kachuk, uh, among others in this All-Star Game. I like the format overall. I, I think that it was a win for the NHL to kind of go to that three-on-three -three format. I think it provides a little bit more excitement uh, than when we were playing five-on-five -five and the score was like 24-23. So definitely a win from the NHL in that standpoint. Donnie, you watch a lot more of the All-Star Game festivities uh, than I was able 
able to this past weekend. What stuck out to you uh, as All-Star Weekend has come and gone in the NHL? Uh, just a quick breakdown from somebody who did end up watching everything they produced. Uh, the, the competition, the skills competition was a mess. It was a real disaster. Uh, they, they, they clearly just whoever was planning did not anticipate having uh, all these r- random tomfooleries like Mitch Marner went in the breakaway challenge and they cut to a different event and then they came back to the breakaway challenge so they could do some gimmick with Sid and Ovechkin and it was great and all um but just weird just like do it all at one time it's you can make this work not a big deal um they also ended up Matthew Kachuk was like supposed to win the breakaway challenge and then one of the judges went rogue and gave him a two giving which is not not supposed to happen you know you kind of assume a breakaway challenge has been a, a home home crowd favorite um, so whoever the home player is in the breakaway challenge wins. That's this is kind of what you'd expect in front of the in front of the fans. Um did, didn't happen. And there there were some some responses and and obviously you can see like the Kachuk brothers were on the ice sitting there stunned that that they were just robbed of of their victory or whatever. Um so that was that was it was whatever. I don't I'm not a big fan of the pre-taped events like the outdoor shooting at like surfboards. And it's it's always been weird to me. And they've kind of taken the the competition from like the, the generic oh like you show up for the hardest shot and then the target shooting with the accuracy and then everything's fine and they've kind of made it like worse than the nba gimmicky it's like it's not an nfl pro bowl we're, we're doing diving catches into a in, into a, a mattress or something it's but we're, we're getting there uh, but the games were a lot better outside of the, what ended up being a really just, I guess the players were tired by the last game. Uh, really no defense was played in, in the second half of the, the championship game, which, you know, these guys are playing for a million dollars, you know, maybe the million dollars doesn't matter that much. The MVP gets a free car. Um, again, maybe the, this 100, 150, 200 grand prize doesn't matter a whole lot to these players, but you, you kind of, the all-star games, there's never any defense. So it's kind of be expected, but holy it was bad. Like they scored so many goals in the second half of, of the, the championship game. People were sitting there like, yeah, we just want this to end. Like it's, it's over. It's you, you've scored six goals in the last minute and a half of, of the game. Like just, I, I understand it all. I get it. You want to score in the all-star game. Just like play, play a little bit of defense in the championship, make it matter just the slightest bit. Yeah. Like I think to about David Pasternak's goal in that championship game. I saw that one. And it's like, there was not even an effort of anyone trying to put any pressure on him as he was coming in. You know, it was basically like a penalty shot and we were playing three on three Pasternak just coming in and snipes. And there him. were like a dozen of those throughout the games. They were just like, Oh, somebody lost the fly. Oh, there's 40 feet of ice. Just go skate down. It, it gets to a point where like the viewing experience, if you're a fan in the arena, it's gotta be just like, what's going Like, Am I watching? Am I watching the midgets in the between period? They're going out there. The, the little midget players, the eight year olds, are are like, what? Are, what's going on on the ice? It's actual trash. Like it's really, it's it's fun, but it's not in the slightest for a lot of people. Yeah, it's hard to replicate that like competitiveness that you would get in a regular game. Just give me something. Format. Like they they just clearly, you know, they they're just kind of especially in like the championship game. They're like, ah. Whatever. I'm just, you know, I, I'm ready to be done skating now at this point. Like I, I only signed up for one game and our team won. So I'm still here. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny that uh, that's how, you know, things ended up breaking down. Definitely agree with you on that standpoint, but um, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of what we saw NHL all-star weekend. Um, but 
and also an interesting storyline out of this, Donnie, the Bo Horvat trade. We were able to talk about it live on our last podcast. Funny timing for us on that one. Ends up going to the All-Star game, uh, playing for the Pacific team, even though he's a New York Islander now. And news out of that, too, a new contract for him as well. So we knew a big part of the Bo Horvat trade was that the Islanders had to keep him. They gave up a lot of assets for a guy who was a pending free agent. And they ended up signing him long-term. The 27-year-old center gets an eight-year, $8.5 million year per year deal definitely could be a good one for the islanders could be kind of a tough one they look back on uh overall i feel like overall horvat does kind of play that you know traditional islanders grindy defensive style where he'll get to the front of the net redirect goals has a lot of skill in his uh arsenal as well and at just 27 years old i don't think this contract may necessarily age too terribly i was thinking that maybe a salary at about eight million or maybe even a little bit under might be a little bit more fair for horvat but it ends up being eight point five million dollars per year for Bor Horvat on his contract extension with the Islanders what did you think we touched on the uh, trade return uh, between the Canucks and the Islanders last week Donnie what do you think of the contract now uh, for Horvat with his extension with the Islanders well we're talking about the Islanders will have 77 million dollars or so tied up in cap going to the offseason this year which is not ideal it's never ideal when you have a team that is not not there and um, it, it is interesting. Uh, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier uh, in, in the chat, but like a team like Philly. So today the Flyers, they sent out this big message from John Tortorella saying, oh, like we're, we're not there right now. We're going to get to the point where we want to be, uh, where we're a little bit more competitive. We're going to get back to Flyers hockey. And they're four points behind the Islanders who just made an absolutely gigantic trade, including a first round pick in a, in a prospect pool that is absolutely just, just atrocious to then hand this guy a massive contract, which, which they had to do if you trade those assets you have totally. to give him a contract but you're at a point where you're spending 51.6 million dollars on 11 forwards next year uh most of which are at mediocre at best we're talking guys like ross johnston martin sezikis clutterbuck will be there he, he guaranteed he'll be back once he's back from injury so uh, there's a bunch of mediocre at best forwards that are under contract and then the, the middle six guys like palmieri and pajot making sizable money five mil a year brock nelson's yeah. making six baileys on a five mil year uh five mil deal next year it gets to a point where the islanders they kind of just seem like they want to keep the game together so badly that it doesn't even matter what the records are like the old like Ledecky's got to be sitting there like I like this core these guys are all nice to me in the locker room when I go down they all shake my hand every single one of the, and it just gets to a point where like if the others missed the playoffs this year let's say it ended up like like the, the 12th pick and they ended up keeping their pick next year and then they give up their pick uh for next year unprotected there there's a chance that it's like a top eight pick even with Bo Horvat Bo Horvat couldn't help the Canucks. And if you look, you want to compare the Canucks and the Islanders. The only thing the Islanders really have that's like significantly stronger is the goaltender. And obviously, you know, you can live and die off of Sorokin having a great year, but it's a team that's barely over 500 in terms of points percentage right now, having a really hard time doing anything, keeping up with a great division ahead of them. Uh, it just seems like maybe, you know, they, they've, they've bitten too much more than they could chew. I don't know if that's like necessarily the, uh, they've gone a little bit too deep and I think they're going to have a large, a large issue trying to like dig out of the hole that they're building themselves. It feels like yeah, this off season could be really, really weird for them. Like maybe we see them trade a guy like Josh Bailey with a pick to get rid of his deal just for some flex, like how it could be, it could be a lot better for the owners lose kind of lose, lost the plot in my opinion, a little bit. 
Yeah, it's definitely an interesting situation to evaluate the Islanders just because it's been so strange for them. Really, the last like five years or so, I mean, a team that had back-to-back conference final appearances in 2020 and 2021 under Barry Trotz missed the playoffs last year. Uh, you know, so you have two years where you know everything's kind of going right. Maybe you have some guys overperforming what their contract value is, and then last year, you know, you're not hitting those line combinations. You move on from Barry Trotz, a successful coach, and then here you are this year, as you said, Donnie. You know, currently out of a playoff spot and while they're just two points back of that second wild card they've got two teams to pass in buffalo and pittsburgh and pittsburgh has three games in hand uh, as things stand right now so uh, even though the islanders they're right there in the hunt and the bohar bad trade certainly makes them a better team this year are they that much closer to you know making a run again at a, a conference finals or are they closer to where they should be saying you know uh, maybe you know we shouldn't be uh, kind of going there the flyers as you mentioned is kind of an interesting team to kind of compare them to that's clearly in a rebuild clearly as a long way to go uh, and the islanders aren't even that much you know four ahead of points them. four pretty points. uh pretty odd how uh how things have kind of turned for the islanders so no question that you know had to resign horvat horvat makes you better this year but uh you know giving up a lot of assets uh to do it in the process you know a first round pick uh you know a prospect and and also an injured roster player uh in beauvillier so um i i overall I, I like it a little bit more for the canucks in terms of like a direction standpoint which is a really weird thing to say because i have not been a fan of the canucks direction for like the better part of the last decade but uh i still don't necessarily love what the direction of the islanders just kind of some strange moves to me when you combine you know the barry trotz hiring this contract the trade um just kind of some interesting things like what would you say like to to the islanders right now like what is kind of their path forward because it seems to me like they're going to be gunning to try to get that last wild card spot but even then where does it kind of end uh as you kind of look forward for the islanders yeah it's really interesting too because we've talked about this time and time again on this podcast they have so many players over 30 on their roster right now, especially the high-paid forwards. So I wrote this down earlier. Lee, Nelson, Bailey, which are all guys that have been pretty productive long-term. You can't argue that. And then you've got Palmieri's on the wrong side of 30 at 32. Sign long-term. Pajot's 30. Sign long-term. Not great, honestly. Palmieri and Pajot not really producing the numbers that you would expect. Right. And then Matt Martin's 33. Zizekas is 31. Like, these guys are just going to get worse realistically that's the, there's not an ex- expectation of a guy like let's say honors lee's not going to get any better at 32 he's going to slow down he plays a tough physical game eventually his body's just going to be like yeah i can't do this anymore so unless this that type of horvat deal plus trade was would be something that you would expect a team like maybe the devils to have made a young team that could build around a guy like that long term rather than like Bo Horvat could spend the back half of that eight-year contract on a just abysmal, abysmal roster, and I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and it's interesting because the forwards are so veteran heavy, and the defense is still, I would say, you know, relatively long when young when you think about Dobson and Romanov, a guy they just traded for last year, even Pelic and Pulak, uh, both of them at 28. So, you know, relatively for defenseman standpoints, uh, you know, guys that are signing long term that you expect to make an impact, but certainly, you know, you need that forward production because as you outlined, a lot of those forwards, uh, you know, being over 30, uh, with the kind of the big exclusion of Matt Barzal, who's still 25, uh, you you need to get that. Pr- 
production because that's kind of their team building philosophy. Hey, we're just going to get a bunch of, you know, guys that we're paying basically uh, second, third line money, and we're going to need a couple of them to kind of spark up and uh, really need to kind of maximize those contracts. So it also puts a tough spot on, on your coaching situation too. Something that Barry Trotz was so good at those two years when they made the conference finals, you know, Lane Lambert hasn't necessarily pressed the buttons in uh, exactly the right way um, this season where they're, you know, out of a playoff spot, despite some amazing goaltending uh, that they've gotten from Ilya Sorokin so far this year. So yeah, tough situation. Islanders are a tough one to evaluate uh, at this point in time, but I'm uh, going to be grinding for, for, you know, one of those playoff spots, but even then what's the light on the end of the tunnel. If you got to go play a team like Carolina or Boston in a best of seven, I'm not too optimistic in terms of your chances for that. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll just have to wait and see eight years. We'll have a lot of time to evaluate that deal uh, for Bo Horvat uh, before it's all said and done. All right, let's bounce over to the NBA before we have a couple of questions on this podcast. Big trade out of the NBA. Thought the timing was funny as well for Kyrie Irving to be traded to the Dallas Mavericks because our last podcast, I touched on how I thought the Nets could be a potential team that could make a run in the NBA. Not anymore, I'm not thinking, even though they got still got Kevin Durant. They trade the 30-year-old Kyrie Irving to Dallas in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie, Donovan Finney-Smith, uh, a first-round pick. Uh, as well in that deal going back to the Nets. So Luka Doncic gets another guard to kind of play around with in the Western Conference and Kyrie Irving. That could be kind of a fun duo, but I was a little bit underwhelmed with this uh, return for the Nets. I understand that Kyrie Irving is going to be a free agent at the end of this year, but uh, you know, when you kind of think back to how things have played out for the Nets, you know, they had Kyrie Irving, they had James Harden, they move on from both of them, you know, what was supposedly supposed to be a big three with Kevin Durant. Uh, now KD is kind of just chilling on his own. Uh, I kind of question the uh, you know, the direction of how things have played out for the Nets. But let's start with the Mavericks on this, Donnie. You know, getting Kyrie Irving in there, you know, there's obviously a lot of baggage. We don't know, is he going to play? Is he going to play good? Is he going to be a good teammate? There's just kind of a lot of external questions that we always have around Kyrie Irving. But let's say he, he finds it. He finds his game. He's playing, you know, great basketball with Luka Doncic. Do you think there's a chance that now Dallas could be a team that could be a player in the Western Conference? Maybe not to get all the way to the finals, but I would say maybe to the Western Conference finals. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, maybe, but you have to think, like, this is a Dallas team that has struggled pretty heavily this year. They're in the same little group as, like, teams like the Lakers and the Clippers and the Suns, who have underperformed very heavily, but are in this little, like, 5th through 13th little jumbled jumbled mess uh, in the NBA standings. I don't know. We've, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, how the Western, the bottom of the Western Conference is, like, there's, like, nine teams that are all, like, pretty okay and they're all fighting for it. This makes them better than pretty okay, but it does leave um, – you have to always – figure the fact that uh, we're trading Spencer Dinwiddie, we're trading Dorian Finney-Smith, we're losing depth, pieces that are, are semi-important. They already run a small lineup. Uh, Luca rebounds pretty well. He, he kind of makes up for the whole, uh, you know, lack of, lack of anything else from Tim Hardaway. Kyrie Irving is not going to grab many boards probably. Um, so you're already running a small lineup. And then your bench is just, it's, it's young mediocre depth pieces now you don't really have that that piece off the bench um they had decent production previously out of the guys that they traded finney smith started every single game for them this year as did dinwiddie both these guys played a lot of time when luca was not on the court they were the guys that were scoring they were the guys that were important uh now you're going to be it's going to be a Kyrie luca show offensively and nothing else from everybody else outside of maybe some christian wood production but when you're relying on guys like like JaVel McGee potentially, you know, maybe at this point we gotta we gotta consider, hey, um, they are going to be dominated by teams that are deeper than them. Uh teams like the Denver Nuggets, they won't stand a chance 
against the Denver Nuggets, probably, uh, even with Luka. It'll be interesting. I don't think it's a bad move for them. I think they did everything that they needed to do here. Uh, trading a 2029 first is is very par for the course in the NBA now. So I'm glad they've got on. Uh, they're, they're trading a seventh grader for Kyrie Irving. It's really always fun to look at look at these. The Lakers have been trading seventh graders for the last five years. So every time it happens, it makes me chuckle. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, they're another team like like you know like the Warriors a lot who just can't win on the road. Um, there's a lot of those mediocre Western Conference teams that are just really abysmal on the road. They really don't play very well uh, outside of Dallas, so that's something to look at. It, it'll be interesting. They're definitely in a better position than the Nets are moving forward uh, based off of this trade with or without a Kyrie Irving extension, probably. Um, but you gotta think like Dallas is probably still not a top two team in the West. And that's that's all you need to be pretty much. I don't think they're going to beat Denver. I wouldn't bet on them against Golden State with the healthy Steph Curry, although he's injured. I wouldn't bet on them against Memphis. I wouldn't bet on them against the Clippers if they were healthy. So, you know, we're we're at a point where maybe it'll help them for a now type thing, but long term, uh, I don't like the Kyrie Luca pairing. Long, it just seems like everywhere Kyrie goes, to disaster now. So. We'll see. It really depends on the on the extension this year. Probably not going to win anything, but maybe maybe a run, maybe a, a round or two win. Who knows? Yeah, I. Th- it might even be possible that I like dislike this trade for both sides, even too. I, I, true. Like you know, both teams have an existing star, obviously KD and Luca, who are remaining put in this deal. But we're looking at you know the rest of the roster around it. And for the Nets, like they really weren't getting much scoring outside of KD and Kyrie. Uh, you'd really just be looking at guys like Nick Claxton or Seth Curry uh, as the only guys that average over 10 points per game uh, on that team now, uh, you know, excluding the new guys they're getting coming in with Dinwiddie and Finney Smith. And then from a Mavericks perspective, uh, you know, I, I, you have to resign, you know, Irving, you think. And even is that, you know, like you said, the long-term fit, you know, Doncic, while he's, you know, kind of a bigger forward is still obviously a primary ball handler for them, which is of course Kyrie. Irving's game uh, being, uh, you know, more of an on-ball impact player uh, rather than someone who can play really well away from the ball. Um, you know, not like Kyrie Irving is bad defensively by any means, but obviously his big, uh, you know, added value to your team is his scoring abilities. So, uh, you know, it'll certainly help out Luka Doncic. I'm not sure they'll have enough depth to, you know, navigate their way all the way through the Western Conference, as you kind of touched on. And even from a Nets perspective, uh, you know, you're trying to maybe surround KD by some different weapons around him, but uh, you know, it didn't work with Kyrie or Harden, you know, Ben Simmons hasn't really been the guy they wanted, uh, or had hoped at, to this point of the season. So I'm not sure if Finney Smith and Dinwiddie will, will turn them into, uh, you know, a, a team that could knock off a team like Milwaukee or Boston in a playoff series either. So kind of a strange trade, uh, kind of last minute with Irving, you know, kind of demanding a trade before the deadline and then getting it to Dallas. We'll see how things kind of turn out, but yeah, I kind of think that uh, it was a strange one for me to kind of, you know, break down and think about um, as, you know, I kind of question how it'll work out, you know, long term, even for both Dallas and Brooklyn on that one. So uh, definitely a big trade. Good to uh, chat about that one in the NBA. Uh, we'll kind of dive into our questions here next and uh, staying with the NBA topic. Our first question is from our friend Connor, and he says, would you say that the NBA season is too long with how many players sit out 10 plus games yearly with load management? management really good question seems like this has been a common question over the last couple of years with more nba teams uh kind of going through that process where they'll rest guys on a more regular basis to have them ready for the postseason donnie how would you kind of break that down yeah so 
it, it kind of sort of for my job, I need to need to keep up a little bit. And I think the the load management thing is as prevalent as ever. I think it's just getting worse every year. We see a perfect example that everybody will always bring up is the Clippers never really listing a full starting healthy lineup as they're, they're starting five. It's very rare that you get to see a, a game where Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are both healthy and playing a, a, a significant load. So we're talking 35, 40 minutes a night as starting NBA players should. Um, it's interesting to me. I, I They'll never lessen the games in a year and they'll never space the games out in a season because they have to fit in 82 games. But I really think like even like if they got rid of eight games throughout the year and even just like you can add you you can add a tournament or something at some point if you want, like do something like that. They're just there's too much grind on these players. Um, It is, you know, obviously anybody who has ever went and like tried to run laps on wood or something along those lines. It's not good for your legs. It's not good for your knees, not good for your ankles, not good for your feet. So uh, over time, you're going to the wear and tear in basketball is natural. It's going to happen. But it, it's really apparent to me that like. You can't, you don't even know who's showing up to games until a half hour before. Sometimes, um, we saw last week there was a like a, a very like a Jimmy Butler fan flew 6,000 miles to, to meet him, and then it turns out he was sitting because of load management with an injury that he was dealing with. Like, there's fans that that are very important to the NBA that are going to have their first experience in an NBA game or going to have an experience in an NBA game completely ruined by not being able to see, say, LeBron James. You went to a Lakers game last year. Had LeBron been sitting, you would have been yes. you would you would have been there for what reason? You were there yeah. to see LeBron James play, as is you gotta think there's thousands of fans every every night that go and like, wow, I get to see LeBron James play basketball tonight. And we see it like if you're a fan of it and the Lakers come to town once or twice a year, you're going to the game thinking, oh, I get to see LeBron and then it doesn't happen. That's got to be like horrible for the sport, horrible for fan bases that actually want to build something because like the Lakers don't need any new fans, but they always want to add more. That's the whole point of having a sports team is to, to build the fan base and get people to, to pay for, for tickets and buy jerseys. It's been awful this year. It's really, really hard to watch the NBA some nights when you see these lineups that are thrown out because guys are on a oh, oh, sore ankle or oh they've got a they've got a tummy issues. Like we're you're getting paid so much money, just play the games. Like if you're healthy ish, I, I understand taking a game off if you're having some issues. But a lot of guys just sit to sit. It is what it is. You play a bad opponent, you're not. You're probably not playing. Yeah, I think coaches and players probably feel differently than owners would on uh, this topic for sure. You know, I, I think that, you know, from a fan perspective, it's easy to see that, you know, the postseason is, you know, and the NBA is where the games matter and sitting a, you know, regular season game and the big picture, you know, really isn't that big of a deal. So for a coach to, you know, have a conversation with his star player who's playing, you know, 40 minutes a night and uh, give him a night off, you know, that could be a big benefit for them, you know, down the stretch. And that's a big reason why this is kind of caught on and become more popular with different teams, different players, different coaches. But from an owner's perspective, they're not going to reduce the amount of games because that takes money away from their pocket, even if that star player isn't playing they're still going to have enough people in the building where uh it's you know worthwhile for them profit wise so i think it would probably have to take a, a dramatic situation where you know a guy sits and like no one shows up to the game because of the you know that reason kind of like what we saw in the nfl when like thursday night games would have these trash quarterbacks and they would have no ratings and then finally they had to start making these adjustments where oh maybe we need to protect 
these quarterbacks because if no one's good as playing, then, uh, you know, ratings are dropping. So I, I think it's going to take some kind of drastic effect like that, where owners are starting to see a more dramatic decrease in the amount of money they're making from individual home games when star players are not playing. Uh, and I guess that point hasn't yet caught up. So I don't think that the NBA season will get reduced anytime soon. I think it would probably make sense to do so, especially if you consider the opinions of the players and coaches given by how their, um, you know, behavior has been recently with allowing this kind of load management or a light injury to sit out. So I don't necessarily foresee an immediate change coming, but I think that it is possible um, that this could be kind of addressed in, you know, the next handful of years, I guess. Yeah, I think so. It's very fair to say. And I think uh, as somebody who kind of sort of pays attention to like NBA ticket prices, the teams that have like the Lakers, their tickets are never under hundred dollars. It doesn't matter who's playing. I could be at the starting lineup and they'd, they'd be selling hundred dollar tickets to sit up in the nosebleeds, but across the league, depending on where you go, like you see some really, really bad ticket prices when the load management, like Clippers games on the road, the Clippers are playing in Brooklyn tonight. You would think that would be a huge, huge opportunity for LA faithful uh, Clippers uh, transplants, or even Nets fans just in general, like want to go to a game tickets are under 20 bucks tonight. Like to see the Clippers with a healthy Paul George and healthy Kawhi Leonard, they're saying every night there's a, there's a different, a different case of this. So at some point, eventually we're going to have to get to the point where like, unless you're like really down bad if you're if you're healthy and just need a night off like you, you gotta figure out sit out a practice tomorrow play the game we need this to happen for the league because you never see a load management game in the nhl outside of a goaltender playing a back-to-back -back. like because the, the the league just knows they need the best players on the ice every night to survive and compete and the nba has got to take a more a more you know we're, we're gonna go out there we're gonna feast or or we're just gonna die and they have to go out there and really just like be more aggressive in terms of having their guys in the court before it's too late. And the NBA starts losing share to the NFL, which we've already seen the NHL MLB eventually, you know, there's a, there's an opportunity there and there's a lot of people that don't like basketball already. So. No doubt. Uh, very well said. And a uh, great question from uh, Connor. Definitely a really good topic um, that we see really on kind of a yearly basis. It always kind of comes up uh, with NBA players resting. So really good question there from Connor. We appreciate that one. And now, end of the podcast, we have a designated spot for my sister, Kira. She's got a question back for us. Very timely question relating to the Super Bowl, but not the game itself. We're talking halftime shows right now, Donnie. Let's do it. Kira's question. Top tier Super Bowl halftime performances. Phenomenal question. One of Kira's best, in my opinion. But, Donnie, I'm going to let you go first. Give me your top tier of Super Bowl halftime performances. Yeah, see, this is this is a question is an issue for both RK and I because we haven't been alive for for that many Super Bowl performances, nor have we really paid attention. So both of our answers will be, uh, both of our tiers will be will be the last like ten years. There's no Janet Jackson here, uh, unfortunately, from us. You're, you're not going to get that. Uh, I definitely liked the weekend's performance. I think that was my favorite of of the last like six, seven, eight of them, the ones that I can remember. Uh, when they get away from pop. Uh, unless it's you know somebody on Katy Perry was also on my list. Katy Perry is just just different. She's just a performer. But you have to get away from like the 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 pop singing like heartbroken. Uh, the weekend's gonna go out there. He's gonna sing about how he can't feel his face and it's great and all. It gets the crowd going. He's got classics. Not everybody's gonna be interested in, in, in listening to like even this year Rihanna. Um, Rihanna's a step closer to what we're looking for, I think, as just like a, a general fan base and an NFL fan base. But I still don't think that they're they're really hitting the mark. They're kind of uh, advertising to people that don't really care about football, just want to watch a Rihanna concert, which is fine. I can't argue with that. Uh, good enough. Um, and I also thought uh, outside of those two. 
just the having multiple artists, like having a, a big headline rather than just one specific artist might be a little bit better, more more interesting. Like last year, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, Snoop Dogg. You can't really argue with that. You're getting a bunch of legends out there, albeit maybe maybe five years too late. Um, had you done that in 20, like 2019, you have that group out there and it's like the biggest performance ever. But they still ended up managing to, to you know, they went off. It's a really interesting show. Obviously, that's a little bit more nostalgic for us as kind of like our childhood sort of kind of with like popular artists, Eminem, especially for me uh, as somebody who Eminem is making music our entire lives, which is crazy. Like it's, it's wild. But um, I don't know. I just think like, we should moving forward obviously it's a lot of money but maybe like groups of people we get three or four headliners rather than just one specific person because i think they always bring out like these these lesser acts and it's like whatever um i'm looking for bangers i want like the, the most popular five artists in the world at one time like give me a bad bunny with harry styles and all them get just get them out there on the stage figure it out you can play it you're the nfl um it's got to be the biggest you can get or i'm underwhelmed in my opinion yeah, I I thought you brought up a lot of good points there. I agree that last year having, you know, a variety of people like Snoop Dogg and Kendrick Lamar both in uh in, you know, Southern California. That's good stuff. I like that. Didn't quite make my exact top tier. I will say though, on that note, a couple of years ago, 2019, Maroon 5 was a headliner and they also had Travis Scott, so I was like had high expectations. And I remember being extremely disappointed with that one in 2019. So, wanted to give a uh top tier of not halftime performances cuz I was mad that Travis Scott and Maroon 5 wasn't better in 20 2019. But as Donnie said, two of mine in my top tier of halftime shows, The Weekend in 2021 and Katy Perry in 2015. Shout out to Left Shark. Absolute classic. Love those two halftime shows. If I recalled any small detail of enjoyment, then it was probably a good halftime show. And I did with those. And then the last one I will include in my top tier is 2018 Justin Timberlake in Minnesota. My dad and I were at this game. It was the Eagles Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. I remember it being pretty cool. It was kind of like right after Prince died and there was a nice little tribute. It was purple rain all over and uh, it was kind of neat, you know, interesting to kind of be at a game when the Super Bowl is going on. You see all like the setup and stuff that while commercial breaks going on, you don't always get to see. I was at another Super Bowl as well in uh, 2012, but that was Madonna and I'm not the biggest Madonna fan, so I don't really have any favorable memory of that one. So I'll mention that. But that's how I'll I'll wrap it up. Three uh, Super Bowl halftime shows in my top tier. Justin Timberlake, The Weeknd, and Katy Perry is how I'll round it out. So how about this? Moving forward, next year, they have The Weeknd, Justin Timberlake, and Katy Perry. Wow. I mean, I would be smiling. That would They would be listening to this podcast. Roger Goodell is an end of the podcast folk if they do that, Donnie. I mean, if it happens next year, I'm I'm posting this clip and I'm asking for royalties on whatever they make out of the advertising at halftime. Uh, this is my idea. I'm not letting you take it. It's actually RK's idea because it's his top tier. But I'm just sure. you know we'll just we'll throw them, we'll throw them together. Make it happen, well, Raj. I I only have one modification, Donnie, and that's that the headliner is Sheck West because he's coming on next episode. Yeah, he and is. chatted over with us about what he's planning on doing to recruit Justin Timberlake the weekend and Katy Perry to his Super Bowl halftime show next year. So it, it really is all coming full circle right now. Yeah, Sheck West, obviously, he didn't want to discuss. He thought he was going to be on the Super Bowl halftime show this year. Uh, we just, broke the news, actually, just now. Late changes. Uh, unfortunately, he's not going to be there anymore. So he, he was devastated, didn't want to come on this week, but he'll be next week, right? Like, we've already planned this out. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. He's coming on. You guys don't got to worry. End of the podcast, folks. You guys are, of course, the best. Thank you guys for making it all the way through. Uh, you know, some fun topics. NHL, NBA will kind of carry the way here for a little bit after uh, NFL season wraps up with the Super Bowl. Obviously, we'll have some draft stuff, uh, as always, which is a lot of fun. Appreciate the questions from Connor and Kira in this one. It's been a good one. Donnie, I'll pass it off to you to wrap us up. 
Thank you, everybody, who listened this week. Really appreciate it. We made it through a full episode without RK's internet dying, so that's always a W. You know, hold on. No. Knock on wood just to make sure it doesn't die in the next 15 seconds. Um, as mentioned previously, we really appreciate everybody who asked questions. Um, always just a good time. We enjoy talking sports. As a, you know, Scotty G, we need you back if you're listening. Where are the questions? I'm actually – I'm calling him out now because last week or two weeks ago, I called him out. Still haven't I, – I, where is he? What's going on here? Um. But outside of that, obviously, we appreciate everybody who does ask questions. Kira, legend. Uh, my friend Connor, legend. Uh, we will talk to you all again next week. Thank you for listening. And peace out, everybody. Peace. Life couldn't get better. This gonna be the best day.